Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, Stephen, we're nearing the end of the year. Um, our Game of the Year episode is going to come out on January 1st, 2020. We were joking beforehand that like it's possible that a game will come out on, like I don't know, 11.59 p.m. on <laughs> December 31st. That might switch it up. So if that uh, ends up happening... Will be covered because yeah. one day later is when our episode comes out. But um, I think in the lead up to that, um, oh, also worth mentioning, our bonus episode will be out that week earlier in that week. So like we'll you'll see why we planned it that way. But anyway, um, I think in the lead up to the Goatee list, you and I have been kind of uh, going through our backlogs of just mm-hmm. like stuff that we meant to play or want to put more time into. Um, like I have I have a pretty solid list at the moment. Like I'm just about done putting together my top ten. Um, I'm now expanding it to a top twenty. But there are a couple games. I think that are kind of left over that if I put more time into them, they might move up the list. They might even move down the list. I'm not really sure. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of putting some more time into some stuff. And I know you've been doing the same thing. Um, so I, I thought for the first segment of the day, it might be interesting to just kind of like talk about what games we're deciding to put our very limited uh, 2019 time into and 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 why. Um, yeah. So I, I know you've been playing a bunch of Death Stranding still, and that's like kind of your main... That's like your main time suck at the moment is like just seeing as much of that game as possible before the year ends. Yeah, for sure. I think and that's kind of um, so I've kind of divided my list into games I want to check out more and then games that I actually want to finish. Um, And I don't need to finish them before the year is over. But like, you know, with with those particular games that I want to see through to the end, I am like prioritizing a little bit. I notably tried to do that with Sekiro on stream. I was like, I'm at the final boss. This is it. And it's like, oh, this is going to take like maybe a couple operas to beat. (laughs) Um, So thank you all for uh, watching. It was a fun time, but it's just brutal. It's those games are a lot about just being patient. And I'm at a point with it where I'm like, okay, like I know I'll eventually win, but like, I don't need to do that right now as we are ending the year and trying to experience as much as possible. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And Uh, and like the experience of beating that final boss is probably not going to be the make or break thing. That's going to, you know, shoot Sekiro up to your number one spot. I do. I have seen the endings. Uh, so I have like watched that. I, I just sort of was curious because yeah. um, I didn't truthfully know if it was like feasible to do, but I would like to have experienced that for myself. I, it's worth noting I'm not like very rarely do I say like you have to beat a game to have experienced it fully. It takes a yeah. lot for me to want to do that, um, but that's a testament to how much I love Sekiro, how much I am enjoying Death Stranding. And uh, yes, yeah, so Death Stranding is what I've been playing most of. I am finally at the point, pretty much everyone I know who has been playing it and a lot of reviews have said like, you have to wait until chapter three. Some people have gone as far to say like the first X hours of that game are a slog until you get to chapter three. I disagree. I mean, we talked about Death Stranding in our uh, Thanks Bub episode, mm-hmm. um, which you can tell because it has the baby on the cover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That game, uh, pretty much I felt like immersed in emotionally like right away. And I really think the the first two chapters like really worked for me. I can see why they wouldn't for a lot of people. And like that's completely subjective. It's not like a, you don't understand the, the subtle, brilliant nuance mm-hmm. of Die Hardman. You know, like... Uh, <laughs> 
but it all worked for me. Like it all, like I, I kind of felt swept away by it, but I do know now why people consider it. So for, for gameplay reasons, chapter three is where the game really starts to like buckle down on the online mechanics where like, if you build, it's worth noting for those who didn't listen or who aren't super familiar with the game at its core, Death Stranding is a game about helping people which i think is why i like it so much and why i find the experience so beautiful like amidst everything and that is both happening like helping people you're doing that in the game in the story you're bringing packages and pointing to point b in this in this beautiful yet post-apocalyptic us where there are no trees just rocks to trip on and ghosts to drag you in puddles (laughs) uh so you can build things that make it easier i'm at a point now in chapter three where you can literally build highways which is so cool you can build like like someone built a highway just above a camp of mules, which are like raiders that steal your stuff. Great. And like, so I hear the, when you're around that group of enemies, it feels very Metal Gear because a lot of it is stealth based and like you actually do get things that resemble weapons. It's also worth pointing out that I have a gun now, but it's non-lethal <laughs> because, you know, in the story of the world, a dead body could like destroy a city. Uh, oh, interesting. For, so it's all about, incapa- yes, that, that makes sense. It's about incapacitating um, people versus killing them. Yeah. But I find that kind of refreshing because I mean, like so many games are just sort of thoughtlessly about killing in a game that like actually is like humanity can only survive by not killing yeah. in a weird way. Um, that, that was really nice moment of discovery, but you build all these things and and the more you build, uh, you have a higher chance of, of seeing other people's buildings in your world and vice versa. So I'm just seeing like more and more of that. And I think that's the element of Death Stranding that I think most people are, are responding positively to the idea that like you are indirectly helping real players traverse this like very unforgiving environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really fun to build and explore. Like that appeals to like a very, I think objectively fun. Ex- it goes back to almost a, a, a my- experience of like gathering resources and seeing what could you know like okay i need to get from point a to point b this area is full of bts what would make it easier for me to like go around them um i've also just found that like as i play the game i'm getting better at like just myself navigating the environment you also get a pair of robot legs that help you run faster with like a bunch of packages in your back oh, it's cool. very inadvertently funny image but um i have to say i'm really enjoying the a plot like i i think that was the thing that i was most up in the air about going into it and like that's the thing that most people are divided on and and again i can see why it's like there are a lot of cutscenes. um there are a lot of very on the nose metaphors but it's so most of the story is so visual and is so much about just a mood versus what people are saying it's actually not very dialogue heavy you know for for I think a lot of Kojima stuff is known for like a lot of exposition, like over the phone, you know, like right, right, snake, right. my name's this and here's why, you know? Uh, <laughs> yes. And you still get that. You'll get a lot of calls from Die Harmon, but he's just telling you how to play the game. He's not really saying anything else. Yeah. I can now build a safe house, which is like just anywhere on the map. I can build what is the equivalent of a private room, like in a city. That's so like, cool. yeah. so I can, and now I can fast travel for places that I've already put on the Cairo network with, uh, uh, fragile's umbrella which is really cool oh nice um so uh there's a moment at the beginning of chapter three two where there's the first actual boss fight because like you don't 
really you you early on get the ability to make grenades that can harm bts but like it's tricky to use and you're not really going to be in position to like do that right away yeah so like for the first 10 hours of the game you were largely just hiding and like <laughs> walking and and that's where i could see someone bouncing from the game i really liked that i think it, it evoked a similar feeling of a uh, shadow of the colossus for me where it's like just this beautiful yet terrifying environment that does not care i'm there um but i have something so important to actually do right um right right that's a really i've never i've never heard the shadow of the colossus comparison with this game but that is so so fucking apt um it's it's literally shadow of the colossus but what if there were ghosts on your way from one colossus to another (laughs) like rather than having the boss fight waiting for you it's like there's just sort of add this sort of like uh kojima a tour stealth mechanic yeah where and like the, that is so well done. And I'm getting to the point now where like I can outmaneuver BTs and then BB will like kind of flip off the BTs with its like uh, thing. And oh then my I'll God, hear that's it, awesome. I'll hear it like giggling with joy in my controller. I'm like, I'm so happy we can now laugh about something that was fucking terrifying for the first like 10 hours of the game. That's really uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love it. And there's a, there's a moment, slight spoiler, but you meet the first kind of antagonist at the beginning of chapter three, uh, Troy Baker, who I think might be in every video game. Uh, mm-hmm. Troy Baker plays uh, Higgs, who is your more prototypical, uh, I should say prototypical because it sounds dismissive, but he's like what you'd expect from a uh, Kojima villain. He's got a skull for a face, mm-hmm. can control the realm of the dead. And like, I have to say, I really liked his performance. Like he goes up to you and smells you and he's like, oh, so the president's dead. Uh, and just like finds out stuff about what's happening just by smelling you. Which I thought was such a cool way to do that. And then he says a phrase, he pulls out a giant squid from the realm of the dead that you see like when when the bts drag you they like pull you to an area of the map that fills with like black water and there's like usually a whale or a squid or something nautical that like you right. just get the fuck away from yeah it's really it's really scary um so he just like seemingly has control over bts and stuff and he pulls out a squid uh just out of the ground and he goes like aren't you tired of the grind? Isn't this the moment you've been waiting for? And blinks away and it's a boss fight. And it felt kind of like almost Kojima speaking yes. directly to the player. Like you wanted a boss fight, didn't you? Like, yeah. well, here it is. And I have to say, it's great. Like you only have grenades at that point. So like <laughs> you just have to walk around like swimming, clumsily climbing. But then you see, you see like uh, mannequins that resemble other players throwing you supplies. So like cool. kind of like uh, near Automata or even like right, a Dark right, right. Souls, like that always gets to me, the mechanic of like other real people helping you through something. Mm-hmm. And you eventually defeat it with just grenades. It was such an exciting fight. And then once that was over, like Hartman and Die Hartman call you and they're like, no human has ever done that. Like, that was like, we have so much hope seeing you do that. It it felt like of all the boss fights, like, you know, in, in a Sekiro, there's that feeling of like, catharsis of like, i finally did it um you know there's always that a boss is there to, to represent like a challenge that you have to overcome or like it's putting everything you learn to the test but narratively i got a strong sense of like i literally did the impossible just there right you know and yeah it's uh, so it's so it i mean from the sound i haven't experienced this myself but it sounds yeah. like it's so rooted in in just reinforcing the theme of the game that, yeah that the emotional catharsis comes from like locking into that thematic arc more than it is about you having beaten the hard thing right which is and that's beautiful that's actually really great that's i love that that's why i think the a plus working for me because the sense of direction and i think this is why like kojima's love for film and and 
like his skill for film visible in this game everything is so like the sense of direction is so strong and everything is thematically linked like sometimes physically sometimes visually but like that theme of of connection is like you know people joke about like oh like your grenades are made of your like bodily fluids which like is is inherently a silly concept yeah but the idea that like to defeat an enemy you literally have to like give up part of yourself i think is effective Mm. you know that's uh, that might be digging a bit much there but like that works for me like i honestly i really really love death stranding and like having played more of it and getting to the point where people say like wait until you get here i can say the same i mean again like you might like the first two chapters like i did but i would say if you're curious about it Play it until that fight, and if you want to keep going like me, you can keep going. Yeah. But that is like a nice chunk of the game to experience on its own. Like that yeah. has a nice arc of its own. Yeah, um, I'm really happy. I've been putting more time into it, and I, I'm excited to see. It, it could go off the rails. I'm sure it might, <laughs> but like f- for now, like I really have been loving the experience, and I'm glad I, I got able. I got some time to revisit it because we like both were really liking it we talked about it and then pokemon came out and like just completely <laughs> sucked us away from everything yes uh yeah so. i i um i mean death stranding is also on my list of things to check out and i'm really yeah. excited to do that i we were talking before i'm like so regimented in in like almost planning out like i have a calendar of what games i'm playing on what day just because i have so little time it's like i have to plan that stuff out but my plan for death stranding is to at least get to chapter three and experience that and see that because that's that is that seems to be the turning point for a lot of people and as you said like you and i already loved the game in the moments when people said this is a grind this is a slog this gameplay isn't fun you and i were like wow i love holding l2 to hold my backpack (laughs) like it's so funny it's so goofy like i just keep getting asked at like events and stuff people keep asking me like oh man have you been playing death stranding because we'll like talk about video games or whatever have you been playing death stranding should i get it and my my answer is always like probably not but i love it like i, I yeah. can't i can't overstate how much of the ambition of that game bleeds out in every bit of it from the ui to the gameplay to the performance capture to every like i've never seen a game be that big and grandiose and so small simultaneously and it is such right. a like a tightrope act that I, I am floored by every time I turn it on and experience any more of it. I'm so excited to play more of that game. I'm so excited about it. Um, it's 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 brilliant. And it does all the stuff that I'm absolutely obsessed with in video games, just like the contextualizing of game mechanics as part of the narrative. Like, I love that so much. So I don't think it's a reach at all that you're expelling part of yourself and you have to give up part of yourself to fight that boss. Like that that is so like on brand and and makes so much sense for that narrative, um, but also is is a really interesting way of of taking like what is a taken for granted game design mechanic in so many other games and and trying to contextualize it in a way that makes you care about the fact that you pissed into a bottle and then threw it at a squid you know like <laughs> right. so wild and like i think it's interesting because i i uh I, I think you're completely right there and like there's so many moments where like this is something in games that i think you and i subjectively really like where there's a moment where like i just had crawled through like the worst I, I literally went to a city, didn't have the supplies I needed, had to walk all the way back to the capital, mm-hmm. got dragged to hell twice, like had to <laughs> like literally had to burn through two pairs of boots because I like your boots degrade. You have to right, like, yeah. generate new ones. I finally got back. And as I walked to uh, Port Knot City, uh, music will just come on like during the A plot, like a song would it'll show like who the artist is and a song will start playing. And it was Asylum for the Feeling by Silent Poets. Mm-hmm. and it's such a beautiful song and like just the image of like 
this zoomed out green landscape with a distant skyline like in the fog. And seeing Sam like trip and like stumble to this like beautiful sad, I started tearing up. Then I also realized that song is so beautiful. You could put that on over anything and it would be like equally effective. Like that song came on when I was buying groceries and I almost started crying as well. <laughs> it's like Asylum for the Field. It's it's a really great track. Um, yeah, the whole soundtrack is great. But Death Stranding is a game that I feel like is a weird thing to. Uh, it's interesting, and we'll talk about this because I think we're gonna we're gonna uh, talk about the game awards in a bit, um, a little bit. But uh, it's like a game that is you're simultaneously like sick of hearing about, but also deserves more attention. Like it's yes. this very strange, like ironic fate it has because like every like big celebrity and like not every big celebrity, but like a- astounding amount of like people like in all different industries like are friends with Kojima and like are in the game somehow and yeah. like our friend and like it feels a little bit like you could see that on a surface level and be like is this showing off you know like, is this like kind of like self-indulgent and like being like oh look how many cool celebrity friends I have and and uh you know it, it is at the end of the day like a triple a game in an industry where like a lot of indie developers go, don't get the attention they deserve at the same time Triple A games are the games that can afford to take risks. Like you should like this is setting such a cool example for Triple A studios to follow of like do something weird if you have the resources. Why not? Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, and and I don't think I mean I I'm, I like the game a lot so maybe I'm biased but I, I feel like in terms of the the conversations about celebrities and and all that that's a big one. But I feel like Kojima seems like a a pretty like vulnerable and open guy based on like this piece of art he's made. Like I feel like he's put a lot of himself in this game. Yeah. And I think by extension of that, he's also put a lot of his friends in it. I think he's showing the connections he's made in real life and, and the connections he's made through the internet that he might have not made otherwise, which I think is kind of a beautiful thing, you know? Maybe, again, maybe I'm stretching a bit, but I, I I really see a lot of positives in this game. I think it's a really beautiful message, especially in this time. And it makes me want to check out, like, the Metal Gear series and, like, maybe I'm just slowly a fanboy in the making. But yeah. I, uh, I really respect him and I really like what he made here and his whole team, obviously. And I think that's the danger is, like, crediting too much of this to one person because he is such a such a like a a passionate following and it's such like a seemingly like great dude like you want to also credit like the the hundreds of people who made this photorealistic beautiful game yeah uh so that's my that's my take on it Uh, i would recommend it now to way more people like i I think i had this similar hesitation like i don't know like you might like this you might think it's a nightmare i think the core game of like building and and exploring and traversing an environment i think appeals to more people than maybe the A plot would, but it all kind of meshes well for me. I'm actually surprised to see, like in a lot of even the positive reviews, a lot of people say like this game kind of feels like disjointed. And I, I completely disagree. I think it really, it aids each other. Like the, the, the beginning scenes of BT so successfully set what the threat of the game is. And like just the scenes of people holding their breath. And then the fact that you're doing that later, right? Because you were kind of taught by the cutscene. I don't know. I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Death Stranding fan, as you can tell, and um, the soundtrack is great. Uh, Song for the Feeling, beautiful song. It will make you cry no matter where you are. 
Yeah, even at the grocery store. Um, I, I think your point about about that game being super ambitious as a AAA game, and that's that's the realm of of game that should be as ambitious as possible, considering the budget, really speaks to another game that I've been checking out and and really enjoying upon revisiting, which is Control. Oh um, yeah. We talked about Control like kind of briefly. I think you and I were both very, very, very early in the game when we talked about it on the show. Um, yeah. And I think you're still very early in it. And I'm I'm not much further. I'm, I'm like maybe 15, like 10 to 15 hours into the game total at this point. But I've been revisiting and checking it out. And like that, that is a game that I was so sure if I put more time into, it would move up my goatee list. And like it absolutely has. Um, yeah. Spoilers for that episode. But like <laughs> this, this is so my kind of game. Like it is so everything I want and love in, in video games and in just storytelling in general and literally any medium. Um, like the idea of an X-Files meets Twin Peaks turned into a video game is is just so up my alley, even though I'm not a person who likes Twin Peaks. And I know that like is very bizarre, maybe given my taste, but like I've tried to watch Twin Peaks a lot, just hasn't worked for me. But I love everything about that game or about that show aesthetically. Like I think it's like kind of brilliant in a lot of ways. I just didn't enjoy watching it. Um, this game is giving me that experience I wanted out of Twin Peaks in 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 a video game format. And and I think one of the things that really stands out to me the more I play it is I'm enjoying this game for the sense of discovery. Like I find the gameplay fun. It's you know nothing like earth shattering. It's it's not like defining. It's kind of a placeholder. Yeah, yeah. The, the you te- know. Telepathy is fun, but the actual like gunplay is like fine. Right. Yeah. You can go all the way back to games like I think it was called Rogue Trooper. If you want like that fun like or psyops or whatever. Like there there are so many games that have done like almost this exact style of combat in the past. It really is the narrative and and the way mysteries are unfolding that is pulling me through it. And and the absolutely wild um aesthetic of of the board as like this giant monolithic upside down pyramid that's speaking in fragmented (laughs) sentences you have the the brutalist architecture that is like almost cancerous in the way it's growing into itself and onto itself like the discovery in that game is wild but the thing that's really hooking me is the thing that you and i have talked about and i think you and i maybe differ on a little bit which is i love collecting the documents and listening to the audio tapes and and watching all of the the videos that have been produced like within the bureau of control i find them so fascinating i was like literally right before we started recording today i was playing some anthem and then i switched over to control for a bit um just to, like get a little bit further and i found this this tape where the main scientist i forget his name like the, the guy who is kind of leading the charge for discovering what's happening in in the the house which is um which which is the bureau of control or where they moved into at least but like he's kind of discovering all the weird like amorphous kind of mystical properties of the house and the way he talks about it in all these videos is always like we found this horrific thing but he has this big smile on his face and he loves telling you about it like he's so excited that he found something that like breaks down the walls of what we think is physically possible and he's just so thrilled to talk about it and other people in the bureau talk about it with such a nonchalance like okay this is this is uh you know, like a, it's like a little redacted document that's just talking about how there's a rock that if uh, you fall onto it, you might switch into a different dimension. And like, that's just like totally normal to them. They don't really care. Uh, people will talk about the minutia of 
like being bored, being sent out on on missions that end up not having anything supernatural. But even if it does have a supernatural element to it, like if it's a boring one, they don't really care. And they'd rather be sent out on the bigger, more exciting missions, like finding Mjolnir or something wild like that. But the way this guy talks about and discloses in these training, they're essentially training videos, these training videos, like just the most minute but wild like boundary breaking discoveries really pulls me further into the world. And and that I find that I am mirroring his exact excitement for all of that stuff. Like when I, when <laughs> I read really those documents where people are really bored by it, I am thrilled by whatever stupid thing they hate. Um, like I, <laughs> I am really, really, really loving control. The more I play it, That's I think awesome. it's, I think it is like equally ambitious, but like you can obviously tell it is, is the work of like an entire studio of people who've just been like kind of dying to make a game like this again. Yeah. Um, because they, they had made the Alan Wake games and there was a quantum break in between, but, but this game seems to be like kind of the culmination of everything they learned from both of those. Um, and, and is really satisfying and I'm really loving playing more of it. And I'm sure I'll That's talk great. about it during the goatee list, but um, it's it's so good. It's so good. I think I think Control and Death Stranding are are cool examples of AAA games to bring up because uh, both games are are the actual game is very simple. Yes. Um, you know, they're they're sort of like point A to point B, avoid. I mean, in 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 Control's case, it's like just shoot bad guys on the way to the next place yes um i i love the the collectibles as well my point of tension with them is is more like i wish there was mechanically a better way to read them than like pause the game open the menu push my or stand close to my tv so i can read them and then go back to the because <laughs> like small. yeah i i know that's like an old man complaint but like it is really rough and like yeah. i i wish there was a way like if i could collect them and they could just appear on the screen as i'm going to the next objective because mm-hmm. i think it kind of comes in the way of like progress so it's like okay do i want to see what happens next or do i want to read more yeah. it's like it's always going to be the former for me or voice act um, jesse reading them out or something like that so you kind of yeah, yeah i know what you mean and i mean such good uh, i love the protagonist i think she's great and her, the vocal performance is awesome but yeah I, I i also have been playing that a little bit more i got to the rocking horse um oh okay I'm, cool so you've gotten past that boss you were stuck on and like cool yeah that's awesome. <laughs> yeah i uh control came out at a time where like there was a lot of other stuff happening for me so i kind of I, I put it aside, but I've been meaning to get back to it because I know like that's something that so many people like passionately love that I want to check out. I will say it's not landing as strongly for me. Um, I love the the uh, everything like my favorite thing about the game is the transitions between scenes. Like just suddenly you're somewhere else and yes. like not like where am I, but just you're just doing the thing. Um, yeah. you know, like she'll suddenly be at the table and like there's that moment where my favorite moment in the game so far is when you're just in that hotel. And like you pull a light switch and suddenly you're somewhere else. And yeah. Like that, that stuff is great. I think the actual like gunplay is honestly like a bit of a slog for me. Like the, yeah. the like you have to find a room and we're going to give you no sense of direction. And you just have to fight bad guys in the way like that. I don't enjoy at all, mm. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And like that's the reason why I have struggled to like finish this game like as quickly as possible. But I love the other stuff so much. That I think if I were to finish it, I would probably come out at the other side being like, I'm glad because it's a shortish game. I think you're probably near the end if you're 15 hours in. Like that's like, yeah, maybe maybe not because you've been reading more of the documents and stuff. But yeah, you know how I play games. I take way <laughs> too long. It's uh, <laughs> from what I've read, it's a game that you could beat in like 15 to 20 hours. It's not it's not a Death Stranding where it's like 40 okay. hours minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, Control is really cool. I'm, I'm I am definitely like an outlying case of like being a little bit lukewarm on it, but I. 
like you, like the presentation and and everything with the game cinematography is is amazing. And like I think every game can learn from because like when other games try to be surreal, it's you're walking through a dream and platforms are forming in front of you. That's like yes. the yes. the yes. comics <laughs> the comic sands of dreamscape. This game is actually surreal. We're like. <laughs> suddenly you're somewhere else and not you're not where am i you're just doing a thing right that is i think i think that motel that you're talking about is such a perfect crystallization of of what this game does so well when referring to like surrealist dreamlike architecture because you're going from this like extremely brutalist uh kind of I, i don't know just bureau setting to what is described in some of these documents as essentially like an amalgam of every motel along route 66 like it is it is every single motel that you've ever been to all turned into just one place. It is every trope from every... It's, it has the weird green carpet. It has the hazy sun with the fog outside. So The like, bell that you can ring that doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't do anything and nobody shows up when you ring it. Um, just weird sounds coming from some of the rooms. Like, it is, it is so classic in its, in its presentation. Um, and again, you just flip a light switch and then you're back somewhere else um it, it is so fascinating so interesting and also the way that game is art directed in terms of its lighting um and and, oh, and use of gorgeous. color is just like yeah. absolutely absurd absolutely yeah. absurd it's i just so pretty. i almost wish there just wasn't the combat in it like i, I kind of wish like the gameplay was just moments like the motel mm. like getting yeah. from point to point b because i think like it, it's like it plays fine it's not bad it's just sort of and i played games where like the combat is not like i i would argue like mass effect has fun gunplay, but it's not while you're playing that game. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, uh, Last of Us for like, you know, like that gameplay is not while you're there. Um, yes. Same with arguably Uncharted with those combat sequences. And like, I think with this game, I, I think it, they might have felt pressured to have like something resembling a AAA game in terms of the gameplay. Mm-hmm. But I almost wish they went like, because Death Stranding, as simple as it is, is also like oddly uh, unique in its gameplay department because it's all about like the offensive moves you get are like only if you absolutely have to and like they're non-lethal and they're they're very specific whereas most of the game is like about taking care of yourself and others and carrying stuff yeah <laughs> which like you don't see a game about backpacks often um <laughs> uh whereas control i feel like the gun like of all the cool weapons you could have had like the te- the telepathy powers are really cool but the actual like hide behind a wall and shoot like feels so like anti the spirit of this game yeah i feel like yeah um but i i i I agree i love all the other stuff too what else is is have you been uh have you been checking out in your backlog um let's skate by one so i can get to the second one uh okay so guildlings is one of them you have now finished and told me that it's an episodic game which i didn't realize so oh, you yeah. finished the first episode. I am not at the end of the first episode yet. I've been playing it just like kind of on trains and stuff kind of briefly. So I've been playing it in like 10, 15 minute spurts every once in a while. Um, but that game just continues to grow. I mean, it's great. And we just had a whole episode about it last week. So if you want to hear more, go check that out. But I imagine, I mean, both of our feelings are pretty much similar and maybe just have grown exponentially. Yeah, I, I will say just real quick, like I, 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 I agree. Like my love for this game has intensified having finished it. I love the characters. I'm all in. And like, even though it's episode, uh, it's the end of episode one, like there is a nice catharsis here and I'm definitely like all in on wherever this adventure is going. Yeah. I will say this in passing, I do really like, and I think there's a lot of value to 
the episodic formula for RPGs in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, we just talked about games that are like X hours and, you know, we're trying to prioritize like when to do what. And like a game that has intentions of being a long story, I think there's there's a lot of value in it being released in episodes. Like Telltale used to do that with their seasons and stuff. Yeah. And I think I think that could be great. Like I think I think that's a less pressure on the creators to like have everything done perfect in like way too little amount of time yeah they can they can see where it goes and see where the story is going i I think i would love to see more rpgs do that it's also like for the people playing the game and and for people like you and i who are trying to check out a lot of stuff it, it makes it really palatable where it's like okay i can experience this world have a very intentional experience for like a shorter amount of time and then wait for the next part whenever that's going to come out. Yeah, like, I exactly. love that. Not a hot take that episodic things are are good, but you don't see it a lot in video games. I think I think we should with RPGs in particular. Yeah, I think um, a really great um, example of that is Kentucky Route Zero. I don't know if you've ever played those games. I've been meaning game. to. My friend Eric is like a giant fan and yeah. his love for it is infectious. I mean, that I, game I has nothing. been unfurling for what feels like the entire decade at this point. And <laughs> from what yeah. I understand, that has been great. I've only played the first two chapters of it, but I think it's all coming out for switch soon so i imagine we'll talk about it when that comes oh out. yeah um, absolutely but yeah. it is almost actually weirdly like control like its use of lighting and, and um, art direction is really incredible yeah but anyway uh guildlings super good um i have almost assembled the whole party at this point um so just loving it it's really great um the other game i have not talked about in a really long time um and i i literally forgot it came out this year and then i was scrolling through um because I, I i've kept a list of every game i've talked about on this show this year um and was scrolling through the list was like oh my god how did i forget about this but it's judgment um yeah judgment. i was actually just thinking about judgment because I, I know you're really enjoying it yeah, I, I played uh, Judgment um, when it came out, just kind of like on a whim I got it because I'd never played any of the Yakuza games. Um, and people have, you know, only kind of talked effusively about how much they love it. Um, so this idea of this spinoff where like you're not playing as one of the members of the Yakuza, you are a private investigator who like maybe is sometimes getting hired by the Yakuza, but you're just in the same city that those games take place in. Um, yeah. And it is a game entirely about being a detective. I was like, that sounds great. That's so wonderful. Um, and and I loved it when I played it, you know, a couple months ago. Um, and I streamed a lot of it. I used to do like um, kind of like nightly judgment streams where I would just like do a case every night. And Yeah, was, those are fun. It was so yeah. fun. I would love to keep doing them. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're they're so ridiculous. So I've, I've been revisiting that game and just have gotten a little bit further into it um, just to kind of like remind myself about what I liked about it. And like there is so much to love here. I think at the end of the day, the the main reason why it's maybe not showing up on a lot of people's lists or whatever is like it, it the actual combat stuff is so arcadey and so over the top and so goofy. But honestly, that just makes me love it more. Like it is so the it antithesis. cuts the tension. Yes, yeah. yes. It is yeah. so the ant- that's exactly what I was going to say. It's so yeah. the antithesis of what's happening in some of these story beats that it really, really, really makes the game feel light and fun and loose, even though you're like investigating like murders and horrific shit, like serial killers and stuff, you know? Yeah. It's it's a really, really fun game. I'm loving just walking around the city in photo mode, just like taking a bunch of pictures, taking a bunch of selfies. Um, I love just like talking to random people. I love all the mini games that pop up left and right. They're so ridiculous. Um, all the characters are so over the top. Like th- this game is is really great. I imagine it'll be like wildly on sale at some point. Um, I recommend buying it not used so you can support more stuff like this. Um, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I, I am really liking revisiting Judgment. And it is now it's on my list of like 
oh man, where am I going to put this now? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been <laughs> such an eventful year, especially the latter half. Like there's so much stuff that, that I want to, because I think it's easy to feel like, okay, my game of the year list is just everything that came out the last four weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, like, exactly. So many, you know, it's like, it's like Oscar season where like a lot of the big stuff comes at the end of the year, but there's so much. I mean, I remember in 2018, my game of the year was Celeste, which I think came out like January 1st of 2018, you know, and like (laughs) Grease came out like December, like I was at a New Year's Eve party and I was like, wait, hold the phone. Everyone stop. Uh, (laughs) And then I played Grease in front of everyone. That's not true. But um, yeah, I've been meaning to check out. I played a little bit of Yakuza 0 uh, and enjoyed it. I kind of got sidetracked, but um, I think you have a great point about the sense of humor with the game's combat and yeah. um all the mini games too like it gives zero you play as a dude who is like very no nonsense very intimidating yet he can sing karaoke for all the mini games and gets like very into it yeah uh and like i think that's why people love the series so much is because like you have that really compelling dark narrative that's like so like harmoniously blended with like a very meta self-aware sense of humor yeah um so it's never taking itself too seriously which i think makes the dark story more palatable uh mm-hmm. like there's a sum- like there was, i just saw like on twitter someone tweeted like there are summons in yakuza and it's like someone pulled out their cell phone and summoned like a bunch of lobsters that rain from the sky <laughs> i was like what is this <laughs> but yeah i think that's a series that. that i think you and i would probably get really into maybe we could look into playing the other ones sometime next year yeah i'd love to um, i think they've they yeah. started doing bundles of those games too so yeah i feel like that would be worth doing at some point but yeah judgment it's so good it, I, it was such like a blind purchase for me and and really paid off i had so much fun with it and i'm still having fun with it um and i and i, I want to finish it eventually because i'm just like i'm kind of compelled to see how that game ends now um even if it's disappointing like just all the cases are so fun um, for sure and honestly like at the end of the day the act of being a detective um, is a thing that like feels like it should be more common and prevalent in game design and is not really as much. Because even games where you are supposed to be a detective, you end up like devolving into gunfights and stuff. Um, and that's, it becomes more I of think... an action thing than anything else. Which, not to say this doesn't, but the combat that happens in this game is like either wildly over the top and goofy and you're fighting like a person who's like wearing a duck hat, you know, like or wearing a duck as a hat or something wild. Yeah. Or the combat is literally just like you're out really late at night on a case and a bunch of drunk guys just like wander out of a bar and decide to pick a fight with you. Like those are the kinds of combat that exist in yeah. this game. Um, it's never like, you know, full fucking action set piece moment. And I think that's a great point to bring up. And that's kind of the thematic thread through all the games we talked about is like the gameplay doesn't have to be what it usually is. Like I feel like a lot of times games default to like generic gunplay and whatnot. Yeah. I think what you can learn from Death Stranding is like you can make the core game whatever and it could still be fun. You can make it logistics and not tripping and somehow be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, one of the think- um, one of the big games, one of the big indie games this year that I haven't checked out, but a lot of people have talked um, a lot about and, and have really loved is Wilmot's Warehouse. Do you know about that game? I have, yeah. I've been meaning to check it out. It's on Switch, I believe. I yeah. am never going to play that game because it just seems like my nightmare. Like, actually, my <laughs> nightmare. Like, I, it is so terrifying to me. It is, it is, even just looking at screenshots of it or GIFs and stuff just make me anxious. Um, yeah. But essentially, it's a game about literally, like, organizing a warehouse um, and, and, you know, you get deliveries and then you have to take the deliveries and like match up all the colors. You have like colored blocks and you have to organize your warehouse. Um, and a lot of people I've talked to who have played it have found that to be really cathartic and, and kind of, um, almost Stardew Valley-esque in its like, in, in its organizational kind of, uh, game design. Uh, but I 
that just freaks me the hell out. Um, but point being, that is a game about organizing a warehouse. Very similar yeah. to Death Stranding. Like, okay, L2, R2 to, you know, grab your backpack straps. Like, it is just a game about organizing. And, and, and that works for some people. And that that is the kind of thing that I think is becoming more prevalent. Maybe, like, maybe that's the tale of, like, this decade of game design is, is people kind of saying, okay, what's been done? And how do we kind of branch off of that? And, and how do we subvert that? Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's really you can make it about anything as long as it has, like, weight and importance to it. You know, like, what is what is at risk for not carrying a delivery successfully i started doing uh pizza deliveries in death stranding yes i've heard about this yeah genius you have to have them like flat on your backpack and like they get cold it's it's brilliant the whole game could be delivering pizzas and avoiding ghosts that's a whole other game that's my game that i'm gonna make (laughs) um but yeah i uh I the only other thing so I have a lot more in my backlog that I want to just check out in general and like there are games that I want to finish like one day not necessarily for the end of the year so I won't get into that but um there are two games that came out this year that I have yet to play that I want to uh, one is the Resident Evil 2 remake um, which yes. I hear nothing but great things about we just saw footage of the Resident Evil 3 remake which looks really good yeah I have to say so I want to check that out eventually just to like have played a bit of it and have that like because I feel like that could be a contender for me based on just how much I like the series and how it looks and what I've heard. Um, the other game is The Outer Wilds, which I have yet to play and I feel like I would really enjoy. So yeah. those are the two ones that could kind of change around my list potentially. Uh, I, I know Outer Wilds is shorter, so I will try to make use of the time I have left. Resident Evil 2, I think I can I can just play at my own speed. So yeah, that's that's my backlog as it applies to 2019. Uh, so anything else on your end? Um, finishing Outer Wilds is one of them, but, uh, okay. that's about it at the moment. I, I'd like to play more Outer Worlds potentially. I mean, I, I really like that game and just didn't get enough time in it, but that's kind of it. I also just want to finish Pokemon, but that'll just happen ambiently. Like I'm, oh yeah, that will just happen keep happening. With yeah. Outer Worlds, uh, in terms of like games you have to finish to experience, I don't think you really do. I think that I game don't feel that way sets, either. That's kind of yeah. why I haven't prioritized I, it. I finished it and I enjoyed the game a lot. Uh, I really loved it. But I think like you get what that game is trying to do from the very beginning. And that's the strength of the game's intention is like yeah. the minute you meet that dude who's dying and before he says he's dying, says the spacer's choice like motto sets the exact tone of the entire game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's cool. It's You have a nice uh, epilogue with your companions when you beat it. So I, I recommend if you want to see that to see it. Yeah. But also a shorter game, depending on how you play it. I, I beat it fairly quickly. Um, but yeah, Outer Worlds is good. Hot take. Yeah. Cool. Um, that's our backlogs. Unless you have anything else you want to move on. No, I mean, uh, yeah, we can move on. I, I uh, My other stuff is just like a general list of like one day beat all the Celeste B-sides and then do the final chapter. Cause apparently you, uh, they released that final chapter for free, but you had to have beaten all the B-sides to do it, which Whoa. is, which is like on par with beating the last boss in Sekiro. I feel yeah. Like. That's really wild. <laughs> so those are both just like one day lists. Mm-hmm. I definitely will, especially with Celeste, it's a game I have purchased three times. I, uh, yeah, will absolutely try to 100% that game one day yeah. slowly, but surely. Can I be um, honest? My my there are a lot of games that came out in 2019, and, yeah. and I like a lot of them, and I want to I want to play all these games in the backlog and get through all of them and stuff. My main motivation for finishing all these games or checking them all out and getting through Goaty and all of this, I just want to fucking keep playing Dragon Quest, and it <laughs> is so upsetting to me that I haven't been able to play Dragon Quest in like 
three months or two months or however long it's it feels like it's been a decade i love dragon quest so much i'm not going to keep talking about it but all i want to do is play it at every moment and it's infuriating to me because it's the only physical game i have on the switch and every time i turn my switch on it's like here's the card that you have inserted in the switch and it's dragon quest Ooh, i want to play it I feel like I now know what you experience with me with like every other RPG. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm so happy you love it. I uh, I think let me know once you. I think we can maybe start like next year with a re- revisit. I can go back to it or something. We could talk about it more. Sure. Um, I could be like, I don't like it as much, and that will be a riveting episode. Um, <laughs> but one day, sweet Brendan, you'll uh, be the hero we need. Yeah. Oh, just while I'm thinking about it, one other game that I, I want to play more of, but I don't know if it'll make the list or change my list or anything, is, uh, surprisingly, Gears 5. Um, I thought you were going to say Kingdom Hearts 3. I was like, I don't have... That That takes too much out of me somehow. <laughs> no, no, I can't. Sorry. I gave up my copy of Kingdom Hearts 3. I gave it to someone really? else. Really? Yeah, I did. Wow, wow. Um, I have a digital one, so oops. Yeah, yeah. I um yeah Gear, Gears Five I started playing with some friends from work and we just had the absolute worst time because none of our mics were working and it was just like a mess. But what <laughs> you I sounded like you sound like the board and control like <laughs> yeah it was it was a nightmare. Um, yeah. But what I will say is that I was so so impressed in just like the visual fidelity of that game and the tone it sets almost immediately that I was very surprised I was playing a Gears of War game much yeah. less the fifth one and you know me and checking out games I think I'm not gonna like uh really into i mean it, that's so. kind of what i do with death stranding like i went in with yes. very yeah, same. Like, yeah that was the that is idea. that is what because i think i've said this before for this show the frequency and the speed in which we get games is absolutely increased by doing the show yes. Um, yes, yes, yes i think you and i would probably get to all these games eventually but at half the speed i will say though we never get something we wouldn't have gotten for ourselves otherwise right although there are some exceptions i think you said astral train was something you got for the show yes. uh and for me death stranding was like absolutely just for the show and and honestly next year i think the death stranding will probably be um cyberpunk that's just like it feels like yeah. a big enough event that i'm like i have to check this out right you know even if i am going in with like i think that's our biggest hot take is like not being super pumped for that game but that's a whole other conversation yeah that uh, that was yeah that w- very literally just copy paste our death stranding take until we started playing it <laughs> but i think there's something about n- n- un- i could eat these words because i haven't played cyberpunk yet and like i watched more gameplay footage of it and like it looks cool but it's sort of the antithesis of like the message of death stranding where it's like you don't have to have like guns and killing to have a video game yeah uh whereas cyberpunk is like you can piss on your enemy's corpse after you've hacked their brain it's like (laughs) i don't want to do this (laughs) yeah it is it is Uh, very much like a look at how cool this is yeah and that and it very well could be that but the delivery in which they're showcasing that is pushing me away from it yeah um, yeah, same. Anyway, a little bit. Uh, let's move on to the break and talk about uh, something else. <laughs> something else <laughs> incoming. All right. See you later. Goodbye. It's the Game Awards. Your host, French Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming out. You know, what a good year for games. I mean, as the star of Third Rock from the Sun, I have to say, I really liked Kingdom Hearts 3. (laughs) What a curse segment. Um, I don't know what we talk about French Stewart. (laughs) Moving on. I know nothing about how French Stewart is. I, I hate that he's become like the 
the the like joke dummy of the show, but whatever. Yeah, sorry, for someone had to. He's definitely not. If I can bet on anything, it's that French Stewart is not listening to Into the Age. <laughs> anyway, the Game Awards. You and I collectively have watched some of it. Um, but we're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched the beginning, uh, most of the announcements, and the uh, performance by Churches of the Death Stranding song. Yes. Um, which was really good. Um, I really liked that song. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I watched some of it. Um, not a whole lot, but just kind of like kept abreast of the announcements um, and, you know, went through all of the like trailers and stuff that dropped yeah. all, all the reveals uh, throughout the night. One of the interesting ones, apparently they were supposed to show more of the new Half-Life and then didn't. And like a lot of people were expecting that to be the like closing announcement and then it just didn't happen, <laughs> which is yeah. funny. And Valve made an, made like a little post somewhere that was like sorry we're at the game awards sorry to like dunk on the entire event but i i just wanted to bring up the game awards because i think there's some like notable stuff in here beyond oh, yeah. like game of the year ended up being sekiro which i think was kind of nice <laughs> like yeah you, you awesome. and i've talked a lot about the fact that there are like five ish maybe games where if any of them were named game of the year on in any outlet or anywhere like we would be happy with it um, oh, yeah. Sekiro is absolutely one of those games where I would not blame anyone for saying Sekiro is their game of the year. No, not at all. It's it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite games this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no surprise. But the the two like major announcements that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, number one, because I, I just don't know how you feel about this game. Um, so I'm just like interested to hear your thoughts. Is Bravely Default 2? Oh, yeah. I feel nothing. Uh, Whoa. So, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I played the first Bravely Default and yeah. felt like really, really torn by the experience because I thought the soundtrack was great and I really liked, you know, it was similar to Octopath Traveler where I liked the gameplay a lot, mm -hmm. but I didn't really, whereas Octopath Traveler, I found enough charm and like the bizarre, like sampler platter of stories that like I enjoyed it for a time, mm -hmm. whereas Bradley Default, I like actively disliked what was happening with the story. Interesting. And, like, I, okay. I found the characters to be just unbearable, except for Edia, who was cool. But like everyone else is like, oh my god. Yeah. Uh. So I actively, I think, don't like that game and don't care about the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's the most negative thing I've ever been on the show. But yeah, I. It's not a bad game. Like I think there's a lot to like about it. I like the. Uh, they kind of implemented elements of the combat bravely default into octopath traveler with like saving a turn and then doing two turns like at once so that was really cool um there's a lot of fun jobs you could turn the characters into and like ranges from like what you'd expect from a final fantasy game to like like really kind of funny out there classes um so that's all great it just yeah did not care for like how long the game was and how little i cared about what was happening okay interesting yeah. do you think do you think there are elements of a sequel that could compel you to pick it up or check it out so i actually don't know the full details of the sequel like what's what what do they announce they just say that it's coming out or is there like something specific about it i mean it's coming out for switch it's coming out next year that's kind of all i know um i mean i think i think there's potential with the game itself and i think like they could definitely make a more compelling story. Is it a direct sequel to the uh, to the story of the first game? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I'll wait and see. I'm definitely, as always, I'm open to be proven wrong. Yeah. Um. So like that's that stands constantly. I just uh, yeah, I'm not like crazy about this series to be honest, which is surprising. Yeah. Given my investment in uh, 
most square rpgs yeah i'm sorry um, to assume oh no don't, don't, don't <laughs> i i get this all the time people stop me on the street how do you feel really default to it i'm like nothing Not goodbye me. get out of yeah. my face i'm just trying to order a coffee yeah yeah that's like my mean celebrity persona like, <laughs> get away from me i don't want to talk about bravely default i care not for tis how dare ring- you speak to me um, one of the characters is named Ringabell because he is he forgot who he was that's pretty cool that, um, that is fun. Um, the other <laughs> announcement uh, that I think is really worth highlighting. There are some other smaller ones that I think like anyway, the other big announcement that I really want to highlight was the new Xbox. They announced the new Xbox at the Game Awards, which I think is wild. Like we are now the uh, the, the prelude to next generation officially. Like we, we have now moved out of the realm of like leaks and whatever. And we have now confirmed that there is another thing coming. And here's what it is. It is a like a cubist pc tower with a big glowing green <laughs> air vent on top <laughs> it has a similar energy to uh um what's the region in pokemon sun and moon Alolan, Alolan executor it has yes. somehow like that's the same part of my brain that lit up when i saw the new xbox yeah it's, it's the xbox one just tall <laughs> yeah yeah it's very goofy looking and it's named the xbox series x which Come on, this is the Wii U of Xbox in terms of names, you know. Yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's um the the Wii being called the Revolution and what was it the <laughs> the, the GameCube was I think Dolphin originally like such Dolphin great was code great. names and I liked Xbox Scarlet. I actually thought that I didn't realize that was the code name. I thought that was just it. Me too. I also thought name. that was yeah. it. I was kind of bummed that that was the code name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Series. Can you X imagine? Forever. Being in the room where they're like, it's no longer the Scarlet, it's Xbox Series X. And everyone yeah. in the room being like, yes, it is. It yeah, is that. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they showed a game, uh, footage of a game that I hear is actually very good, but I know nothing about and was like off put by this being the first experience. Oh, it's Hellblade 2, right? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't play the first Hellblade. I've, again, like you said, only heard good things about it, but yeah. I've never really felt the need to check it out. The thing that, the thing that I'm really into with the Series X, honestly is just the idea that the whole thing is backwards compatible with everything. That's such a selling point. You yeah. can take I, all of your yeah. controllers and and everything over directly to this next console. Um, I think what's also really fascinating about it is that it, it is this tall and it is this big specifically so they can have that air vent on top so they can have like really ample cooling for it so it can stay quiet but be extremely powerful. And I think what they're saying is that it's either three or four times as powerful graphically as the Xbox One, which like literally just turns it into a gaming PC at this point that has a controller and like a UI, which honestly, like if you're going to keep making game consoles in 2020, like that's probably the way to do it, I think. Yeah, I I think we both like Phil Spencer's direction generally with like what he's trying to do with Microsoft and Xbox. And I honestly am very open to like getting an Xbox next generation. Um, I, I again I feel a little bit of external pressure to have the ability for everything. Yeah. Uh for the show and, and for myself. But the again, the biggest selling point for me is the backwards compatibility. I have like a binder of three sixty games that I would love to revisit that I can't because my three sixty is like in a pool of BTs. So like I can't <laughs> you know it is the container is damaged and ghosts are pulling it into a puddle. Yeah. Um so that would be great. I and I, I I think like as I organize my stuff, like I would love to have like okay, like this plays all of this, this has that, like you know, just have like that way I don't have like a garage full of like rock band three instruments right. and like a eight Xboxes. Yeah. Which is like a happy problem, obviously, but you know, it's I think I think backwards compatibility should be across the board, like for everyone next generation. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I so. the the two things for me with the Series X, number one is like 
Game Pass continues to be a thing that is so compelling. And, oh, yeah. And such a ridiculously good deal um, that there's kind of no doubt in my mind that I'll probably get an Xbox next generation. I mean, I'll get both, but um, like I will I will probably pick this up just because Game Pass is so great. I love the backwards compatibility element. So all the games I have just carry over immediately. All the controllers I bought and accessories and stuff that all carries over really great. Um, the other thing, though, is that there's apparently just from what I'm hearing, like rumors and stuff online, there's going to be a less powerful version of the next generation of Xbox also. Yeah. So you're going to have a choice between getting this like giant behemoth of a, of a machine or getting something a little bit more like maybe svelte that'll uh, still play the same stuff, which I think is great. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, to yeah. L- I hope they launch with both. Personally, I don't know what kind of like marketing sense that makes. And I'm not really thinking about it critically in any way but like if they have that choice available i think that'll be nice it'll at least be better than the nintendo model of here's the nintendo switch okay here's the nintendo switch with the batteries better okay here's the nintendo switch Lite, which doesn't actually switch and from what we're hearing there's also gonna be an even more powerful version potentially at another point it's like every three years when you think you have the one that is the good one they're like no here's the good one just to get yeah. you to buy it over and over again i really hope that that is not the case with the next generation of xboxes i got my joy cons repaired yeah <laughs> very nice uh here's the one that works said nintendo yes um but uh yeah i mean i i agree i think that's that's something where nintendo is like usually like the moral example of what to do right except for like controllers and systems right, right, right. <laughs> like you need this one controller for a sub quest in luigi's mansion 3 that's 80 dollars. <laughs> this sucks yeah but yeah i, I could very well like I am the the big question mark is what Sony's gonna do. Do we know if PS5 is backwards compatible with at least PS4 or no? The rumors indicate yes. The rumors indicate it will be backwards compatible with PS4. Gotcha. I guess the question is is, is it gonna be with like everything, PS3 and, and back? Yeah. Um the way I usually treat PlayStation is like I feel like PlayStation is always reliable, but you kind of have to wait two years for there to be a library worth investing in. Mm. So like I can very well see a future in which I get the Xbox Series X X deodorant before I get a PS5. Right. Because I feel like PS5 will probably be too much money on launch and we'll have like one game for it. And then in two years it will have what PS4 has now, which is like amazing. Yes. Um, so like, I feel like PlayStation always peaks at the end of the, of the library somehow. Yeah. Um, totally. Like PS3. And there's also like usually like this is probably the best time to get a PS4. I saw deals for like 199 for like the system and three games. It's like that's really yeah. I, I convinced um one of my coworkers to pick up that bundle. It is it it was uh the PS4 I think Slim, so not the Pro, but still the Slim uh that comes with God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, and The Last of Us Remastered, which is possibly all you need. Yeah, like <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Uh, in terms of at least the like AAA first party stuff, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that that similar when I got mine, it came with Uncharted Four and Last of Us, which like again, yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. As much as it sounds like I'm apathetic, like I, again, whenever we're negative, prove me wrong. I can't wait for the Bravely Default two episode of 2020 where I'm like, God's forgive me, this is great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that just the series I'm not crazy about and Xbox weird name, weird shape, but I'm excited for what it could bring. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm 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 more excited about um Xbox as a service than I am about Xbox as a physical device I can own if that makes sense. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think Sony will continue to be like their exclusives, I think, are going to surpass Xbox for me every time, at least currently. Yeah. You know, I think the reason the 360 was such a successful system was they really had great third party support, like more than the other systems, mm-hmm. um, as well as like Xbox Arcade and like them them kind of showcasing indie games more like via the arcade and, and, and Xbox Live. That had that on PS3 as well, but I feel like not quite as much, unless I'm completely mistaken, but you know from what I remember. Uh, But now I feel like third-party support is, for the first time since PS2, GameCube, and Xbox, the first one, it's like even across the board. Like a game kind of comes out for all three and you can see like which one you prefer to get, which is kind of neat. Yeah, and Um, now with with, um, cross-platform compatibility and multiplayer games and stuff and like cross-save. So like we were just talking before we started recording about Dauntless being out on Switch and how I'm probably going to download that on Switch now and just carry my progress over from PS4 to Switch. Like that's fucking awesome. I'm so glad that we have reached this point where that's starting to happen. Um, What just, oh, they just released uh, the Minecraft, like the full Minecraft edition out on ps4 and now that also carries over your progress from all the other platforms like you can now play cross-platform with all of your friends regardless of what platform you're playing minecraft on like that's great for kids in 2019 stuff like that and it's brendan just, and brendan um it's just so great it's so cool i'm, I'm glad that we yeah. reached that point i totally agree and i i am hopeful that sony will kind of undo their like because they were kind of the bully of this generation with like hoarding a lot of stuff and like just not doing things in their power to do that would benefit like other people yeah <laughs> you know right. like backwards compatibility like even even having like an e-shop where i could buy old playstation games like me giving them more money would be cool like i would love <laughs> the ability to buy a ps2 game on ps4 yes. you know yeah like even that is like not available which i get that it's probably harder to do than it seems but Still, I feel like, you know, going back to uh, Fortnite with like, we, I don't play Fortnite, but like the fact that you couldn't initially do cross saves between systems, you just had to do like PlayStations and that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is not a hot take. I think Sony knew they were in first this generation and kind of acted like it. So I'm hoping that they don't do that next time. That being said, I love the PS4. I think it's got an amazing library and I've enjoyed having it as a system. Yeah. Lately. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a thing I feel so ambivalent about, like like the brand of PlayStation I feel almost nothing for. Right. <laughs> but the games on that platform are incredible. Whereas Xbox, I'm constantly surprised by how focused and, and how much better they've gotten over the past couple of years. That has kind of endeared me more to the idea of Xbox, even though I turn it on maybe like once every two months. <laughs> I feel like PlayStation is I think for the foreseeable future going to be like the the safe bet, you know? Like yeah. Totally. It's sort of like the proton and neutron that the like frantic uh, electrons of Nintendo and Microsoft are like always changing around. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that one is like atomically bigger than the other, but just, there's more seas of change for Nintendo and Microsoft than there is going to be for Sony. Yeah. Like, it, even coming down to the name, they're never going to release like the Sony Galaxy. It's always going to be PlayStation 6 or whatever. Yes. You know, yeah. they're never going to call it. Like, this one's called the Kazam. It's like, no, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? One, two, three, four, five, because <laughs> <laughs> Hey gamers, this is the Sony Kazam. It's a big it's a big fucking pile of soda, not even in a cup, you animal. <laughs> <laughs> the Kazam's a pile of soda that you paid five hundred dollars for, you idiot. Eat shit. <laughs> Bailey Default 2 coming on debut. <laughs>
<laughs> we, we stole a Nintendo Switch card and put yeah. it in the pile of soda. It's just, it's just a copy of Bradley <laughs> Default 2 with soda all over it. Dude, this really shines on the gazoo. <laughs> I fucking, fucking brilliant loved, to soda cool this game. I fucking love Tiz's arc and Bradley Default 2 on the Sony Kazam. It's covered in soda. <laughs> It tastes like so shit. Weird. I'm just going to leave it on my table. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the Kazam Pro, uh, <laughs> an executive from Sony comes to your house and just slaps you in the face. <laughs> and then like Nickelodeon Gak pulls a lever and a bunch of soda falls on you. That's the new Sony system. Oh, man, that was weird. But yeah, overall, like uh, the Game Awards, like I, I think as an event, speaking of soda i i said to you there's like an undercurrent of mountain dew still but i think like any award show it's it's sort of there to generate conversation and to celebrate the medium like i think there's a lot of room for improvement like it seems a little i don't know like i think just like the oscars like you're really highlighting like a very small fraction of what's coming out and like there's not enough attention to the smaller creative teams yes. like Agreed. um the fact that also just real bitter, but Sinar Wildheart's not winning best like soundtrack is fucking ridiculous. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> I know Death Stranding has a great one, and like a lot of artists made original music for it, which is awesome. Like that is a really good. Uh, did that win? Did Death Stranding win? Um, I don't know. I, I don't have the list open right now. There's something where I think I think your favorite Call of Duty Mobile won best mobile game. I think it did. Funny. Yeah, which is wild. <laughs> Um, uh yeah but, it was uh, it was death stranding okay like and that's honestly like i can see why like I, i've been listening to that soundtrack nonstop, but i feel like center wild hearts should have gotten something if not if not soundtrack best uh mobile game can i just read off the mobile game category real quick yeah please call of duty mobile winner against Good. sky <laughs> grindstone cyanar wild hearts and what the golf that fucking sucks i hate that, <laughs> I hate that. as the as the person who likes Call of Duty Mobile on the show. That is yeah. lame. That that is that's what won. ridiculous. That that one. Yeah. Literally, another thing where like any of the other games winning would have been awesome. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. Um. But my my thing about about the Game Awards is that a it's gotten better every year, which I think sure. is worth noting. And also like it is it is doing the thing that you're saying where it's highlighting the medium and kind of celebrating it in in a way that I find to be kind of optimistic and hopeful. And and there's no. There's no kind of like undercurrent of shit outside of the outside of the sponsorships. But also like this is what the Golden Globes are. This is what the Oscars are. There's just like decades of pomp and circumstance that come along with those events that make it seem like it is not sponsored by Mountain Dew also, you know, (laughs) like it absolutely like the Oscars are absolutely sponsored by something Mountain Dew adjacent. You know what I mean? Like that that stuff still exists in the Oscars. It's just more on display in the Game Awards and people are more, I think, uh, holding up a magnifying glass what the game awards are because it's trying to be something that has existed for 50 60 80 years you know right whereas like the medium itself is only like 40 years old right exactly you know? yeah. uh so yeah i think i think overall i think you're right i think it's gotten better i think that um all these award shows i think there's a way to like value them for for the discussions they inspire versus the actual awards that are given not and at the same time, it's not to take away from the teams that won. Like seeing FromSoft win Game of the Year was like a genuinely heartwarming moment, mm-hmm. you know. And like seeing all the people that have worked on these games, because that's the thing. As much as I, as much as I want to highlight, you know, indie games more than than the AAA games you hear all about constantly. Like there's a, a lot of people that worked on those games that deserve to be noticed. Yes, you know? absolutely. And I think that's the conversation. I think it's like okay. 
when we give an award to to Red Dead Two or whatever, like have the dozens of people that worked on that go on stage, you know, mm-hmm. and like rather than like the their boss, <laughs> it was yeah. like yes, a trophy for me. <laughs> I don't know, I don't even know if that's happening, but yeah, I think I think it's a cool thing. I, I'd love to see it grow, and I think it's gotten better. Um, the church's performance, great, a beautiful song, orchestra backing it, wonderful. Yeah, I loved it. It was cool. Um, yeah, game awards. Uh, I can't wait for the Sony Kazam. It's gonna be great. I can't wait to play yeah. Bravely Fault Two on the <laughs> Sony Kazam. If you go to GameStop, they like have like a T-shirt gun. And then, and then halfway through, halfway through the uh, the console's life cycle, they introduce the Sony the the Sony Cherry Kazam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For just three thousand dollars, we could punch you in the face and give you cherry soda <laughs> spilled all over Bravely Default Three. <laughs> it's also, I think, there was a sequel to Bravely Default called Bravely Second. Bravely and Second. Now it's yeah. Bravely Default Two. Yeah, weird, um, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe you know what? That might be a game where I check it out for the show because I feel like I was so negative. It would be fun to see if they improve it. Because I do think, full circle, I do think there's a lot of potential with that battle system, and I think with a better story, it could be really cool. Mm. So maybe it is. Maybe it's exactly that. We'll see. Maybe. All right. You want to move on? <sighs> yeah. Get me out of here. Cool. Bye. Bye. Brandon. Hey. I lent you my... S- oh, never mind. Not- I was going to bring up Sony Kazam again. Like, I need to stop. Uh, <laughs> What's it going to be? I lent you my Sony Kazam so you could play... That's <laughs> very <pretty> good. <laughs> <laughs> so you could play Anthem, uh, which you have been playing. And I can't wait to hear about it. Yes. I... You like just like so casually in the beginning of this episode, we're like, yeah, as I was playing Anthem, I was doing this. I'm like, that's not anything someone says. <laughs> at, the end, at the end of 2019, no one's like, yeah, you know, while I was playing Anthem and I was, you know, like hanging out and then I moved on to something else. Yeah. No. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, yeah. So we've talked a lot about our Black Friday uh, pickups that we got. Um, I I think now famously picked up two copies of Anthem <laughs> and and Mass Effect Andromeda <laughs> as my buy two get one free. That's that's PlayStation Six. That's the new like it just those three games glued together. <laughs> um, yeah, I, p- I picked up one copy for me and one copy for a friend of mine. Uh, each of those games of those three games, they were all five dollars each. So like kind of kind of a bargain. I, at least I Why thought not? you know for what have been called the worst games of the year was Andromeda this year or was that last year no Andromeda was like 2016 I think was that was really? a while ago oh, okay yeah I don't even remember yeah. I just remember people didn't like it um it wasn't as as catastrophic as Anthem but like the hype of the what you expect from a Mass Effect game it fell short of that I have not played it yet yeah I, I think that that might be something that I visit eventually yeah but uh, it has since gotten oh, sorry to cut you off it's since gotten like a little bit warmer reception but like at, on launch it was like woof no yeah yeah Anthem, by comparison, was this year, did come out this year. It's not a game that <laughs> has February, made anybody's right? Game of the Year list. And I just thought it would be really interesting to, like, really sit down and play a thing that people hated. Because <laughs> they, they have updated the game with, like, one major overhaul from what I heard. But even talking to people in my office who played that game and, like, pre-ordered it and, like, felt super burned by what happened and were looking forward to that update, they were like, it did not really change enough about the game to make me consider continuing to play it. Like, check it out, and and it just, like, still kind of fell on its face. Um, What we've now learned is that there is a complete major overhaul, like Final Fantasy XIV levels, like Destiny the Taken King levels, um, No Man's Sky level overhaul of the entire game, like, from the ground up, like, try and fix the whole thing. 
um, which like fingers crossed, I hope that works. But I've been playing this game uh, for, I guess, like two weeks now, however long it's been since Black Friday. Um, I and my friend who I bought a copy for, the two of us have been like teaming up and playing it kind of in all of our free time and as much time as possible because I really wanted to like see a lot of this game so I could get like a really full, well-rounded take on it. And what I'll say about this game, my, my top level take on Anthem is that it is not bad by any stretch, but that is mainly because I got it for $5. Like, I, I really, <laughs> right, right. I hate to say that. I hate to, like, intrinsically tie value to gameplay in this way. But for $5, and the game is now $5 everywhere. Like, you can get a new copy for $5 on the PlayStation Store right now. For $5, what is on offer here is really compelling and really fun and like I'm, I'm having a great time just turning my brain off and experiencing this like extremely weird thing does the story make any sense not really is it an amalgam of like 15 other video game stories put together because maybe it sounds like it could be cool and like could have lore yeah it is absolutely trying to be that um does it crash literally every time i play it yeah when i talk about uh <laughs> stopping playing anthem so i could turn on control that's literally because the game crashed while i was in the middle of a mission um it happens like literally every single time that is how i stop playing anthem whenever i start playing anthem is that the game crashes while i'm like loading into or out of a mission or in the middle it's of the, like, it's dialogue. the new episodic structure it will just crash yes. when you've had enough yeah. yes um Unlike uh, one of my favorite games of, of all time, uh, Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery on the iPhone, which will literally tell you, please stop playing this game and come back to it in a week. Uh, this game is like, let me just kick you right out the door in the ass and uh, come back maybe sometime, but probably don't. He kicked me right out of the door in the ass. <laughs> um, okay, so so like top level <laughs> shit Sorry. about this game. I'm laughing at my own jokes and critiquing Bravely Default too harshly. This is Evil Steven, I think. <laughs> um, well, we're talking about Anthem, so it's, it's the right time for Evil Steven. The top level thing about this game uh, from like a story perspective is you are what is called a freelancer, uh, who is a person who controls a like Iron Man adjacent mech. Like the entire kind of power fantasy of this game is like, what if we made kind of an Iron Man video game, uh, but set it in like a weird, like pseudo future uh, on like an avatar kind of planet. Like it is very Pandora like um, in a way. Um, it, it opens with you having a like Halo Reach moment, or uh, if you've played Destiny, like a Twilight Gap moment of you are in this battle against these like giant golems and titans that are like skyscrapers, like gigantic beasts, like gigantic beings that are way too strong for you. And it's you and a bunch of other freelancers protecting like the last bastion of humanity, like the last couple cities. And you just get fucking eviscerated, like just completely destroyed. The guy who's leading your squad of people gives like a rousing speech before you dive in. And then is so, so like obnoxious in his in his um in his like reticence to to pull people out of a mission that is clearly failing that just everyone dies in brutal ways like every single person on this squad just dies in the most horrific way right in front of you and you were the only person who escapes and then the game like jumps i don't know 20 or so years and at this point you are in like the last kind of like main city uh and and as you wander around you'll start to realize that there aren't really freelancers anymore you're kind of like the last one and some of them are starting to come back like you're you as a person are kind of starting to uh rebuild the idea of freelancers but in the absence in since the loss of the freelancers and since like humanity was mainly wiped out because of the failures of the freelancers humanity has turned to just building like automated versions of the mechs that the freelancers once inhabited and they're called mm -hmm. sentinels so like 
people are almost entirely putting their trust in these like AI Iron Man robots, essentially, and saying like, yeah, the Sentinels are fine. I don't know why we need like people who can fail uh, and who have failed and who have like kind of like in their failings eviscerated all of humanity. Like, why would we want that? Um, so you play as like this freelancer who survived that experience, um, trying to like restore the faith in humanity for other humans versus robots. And honestly, I don't buy it like at all. Um, every bit of dialogue I have about this, like all the freelancers and all the people who work with freelancers are so fucking optimistic. They're so stoked about you going out and leading the charge and fighting all the things uh, you know that that at one point like humanity couldn't face up against and and overcoming and succeeding and bringing freelancers back and isn't this great for humanity but at the end of the day like the sentinels aren't evil like i kept waiting for the turn where the sentinels right. were going to become the the baddies in some way shape or form and at least as far as i played so far that has not happened like the sentinels are just fine like they just kind of hang yeah. out uh like on the top of the wall and they just like look over the top of the wall and just like shoot stuff as it's like coming into the city and like pretty low-key actually <laughs> like they seem like they're doing their job pretty well um and yeah. there is no really like giant cataclysmic event that's happening um it is trying to be destiny in that there like is a story that you're making mm -hmm. your way through but the story is like both so obfuscated and and not really compelling that i've kind of tuned it out entirely so this game has kind of just become like a pure gameplay thing for me like i i just am enjoying the experience of like having a mech being able to fly around this like beautiful landscape absolutely ridiculous how pretty it is um yeah i mean even when i played the beta and i think i talked about the beta on this show at you one did. point yeah which i hated did not like the beta at all the experience of flying around that world even in the beta was like shocking because it's so vast and it's so gorgeous and it's so like meticulously constructed at first i thought it felt empty but now that i'm playing around in it and like experiencing like their version of like a destiny free play open world like roaming thing it's starting to feel more lived in and there are like events happening all over the place um which kind of makes it compelling but at the end of the day literally every mission is like oi freelancer head out here shoot these spiders, pick up this thing, bring it back. And then, like, you'll shoot the spiders and be like, ah, spiders didn't have the thing. Go check out this. And it seems like it's randomly generating the missions. It doesn't even seem like they are constructed in any way. Maybe they're just this poorly <laughs> put together. But, like, you'll fight some spiders and then, like, go to pick up a thing. It's like, oi, thing's not there. And then you'll have to, like, go shoot a bunch of, like, humanoid things called outlaws. Okay, maybe the outlaws have the thing. And then you go and you fight the outlaws. The outlaws don't have the thing either. And then you go fight someone else. Oi, they don't have the thing either. Uh, I guess we should just give up. And then the mission ends and you never get the thing. And you've just what? like, yeah, you just like went around and shot a bunch of stuff. Or like you go turn on a bunch of like beacons all over the place. Like it's literally shoot some stuff, hold square to interact with a thing and then you're out. Like that is the mission structure of every single thing I've done in this game. And like... Is there fun in that? There absolutely is, because the game feels so fucking good. And that's why I'm actually really excited to play Andromeda at some point, because what I've heard is that Andromeda is just this game's gameplay <laughs> in a Mass Effect game. I, I am really enjoying the combat in this, like way more than Control, which we were talking about before, um, right. which is the game I just jumped to. But the act of flying, the act of like using my my jetpack to like dash around, you have just like the the Iron Man arm rocket. You got a bunch of weapons on you. You're throwing grenades. You can hover in the air. Depending on what mech you're using, you have other abilities. So like there's a kind of like Destiny Warlock that can call lightning down. Like there's a bunch of really wild shit you can do in this game. And, and that power fantasy is fulfilled. Um, 
it it is it is really compelling just in its gameplay um but not at all in its narrative or story even like so this is a bioware game you would expect them to have some kind of like dialogue right. trees and yeah. dialogue options and when you're not out mm-hmm. in the world uh and you and you're in the main hub consider it like the destiny tower or something um when you're in that main hub the entire game is in the first person so you're just kind of like walking around this like kind of beautiful marketplace looking uh looking area uh which is where your your titan thing i forget what it's even called honestly but it's where your titan thing is housed and where you can work on it and like you can literally like forge and like make new things and like attach them to your titan and stuff um, but when you're not doing that, you can wander around and like just kind of converse with the people in this in this village in this city, and those experiences feel very Bioware-y. And and the uh, the character designs of all of these people are like honestly really compelling and really fun and really interesting. And I I like talking to all these people because they're so weird. They almost feel Star Warsy in a way. I was talking to somebody at work recently talking about the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek aliens, and like Star Wars aliens are masks and Star Trek aliens are prosthetics this is much more leaning into the star wars side where it's like a bunch of weird masks over like humanoid looking figures um Mm. which is really fun but when you're talking to these people they will have dialogue options and it is literally just like hold l2 or hold r2 to pick one of two things and they both say the same thing and they both have the same outcome and i've even had instances in which i will pick one of those two things and they won't even remember which one i picked and then talk to me about having picked the other option so like i just oh my God. they're doing like a winter event right now i think it's called like ice tide or something like that they're doing like a, like a holiday event like the whole place is done up to look like Christmassy or, or whatever um and and i mean it is Christmassy. there's no like bones about it like they, they they just made it like a full christmas event not even holidays but anyway um like one of the npcs that shows up in this moment asked me if i liked cold weather and i was like yeah i love the cold it's great it's it's perfect you know and like had a whole conversation about it and then later on he was like well you could go like head out into the field not like you like the cold though like if you if you hate the cold you're not gonna like it and then my character responded as if i had said that i hated the cold earlier and it like wasn't like a goof it wasn't like they were being sarcastic or ironic in any way like the game literally just forgot the one choice that it asked me in this dialogue in this dialogue it was so bizarre yeah and like i'm really conflicted talking about the game because i really am enjoying it and i will play to the end of the campaign because like there are a couple threads that i do want to pull on and and see where they end up like i would love to see what this game looks like in the end game because that's the thing that i think most people have found disappointing is like what happens when you're done when it becomes the destiny always on game it's like kind of disappointing. I would love to like hit that point, see it briefly and then stop. But I'm never going to feel bad about it because of the price I paid for this for, for Anthem. And Total. I guess also the expectations you went in with, right? Like Absolutely. You're going into this thinking it's going to be. And I think for those who haven't, I'd, I'd highly recommend reading uh, Jason Schreier's article about this game. The what went wrong. Yes. With Anthem. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, fascinating. That's a, yeah. That we could have a whole separate discussion about just that article. And that that like highlights what ended up being a much bigger discussion about the industry as a whole because it, it singles into like what went wrong with development with Anthem uh, a lot of just like stories of corporate burnout and like how they did I think the article opens with they didn't even know it was going to be called Anthem until like a week before and like <laughs> or something like that like it, it's just it's just like a really 
enlightening and disturbing read and like kind of sh- it, it highlights a lot of really serious problems that like i remember uh jason schreier tweeted after it came out like he's like a lot of people have anonymously reached out to me being like you can replace bioware with the beloved studio i work for and it's the same story yeah or like you know the the developers are overworked and underpaid and they kind of have this like emotional manipulation of like oh well you're working on a bioware game isn't that your dream like keep working and that's yeah it's so fucked up and like honestly not to like guilt you into anything but i'm like as much as i want in the spirit of our show for for us to talk about anthem and be like there is something to like here i think it's also important because at the end of the day a lot of people worked really hard on this game and like i think a lot of the reviews as negative as they were when it came out were like also kind of conflicted even on launch because they're like you could tell there's something here but it's so like it's so fragmented and not it doesn't come together so i think it's admirable that you're going and being like what is that thing like what is sort of the the light at the end of the tunnel i just worry that like what's the reality in which like bioware is keeping people working on this game and like what are the work conditions like now and and like even if this game redeems itself in a Final Fantasy 14 way. What is like, the cost of that? What is the cost of that? Does yeah, that risk absolutely. does that risk EA and Bioware being like, oh well it worked out in the end, we'll just do the same thing next time? Like I don't think they will. Right. Because, does it again, set a precedent that they can release a thing that is this fucked and then and then overwork people again to fix it after the fact? And that's that's the yeah. bigger thing, is like it's not like the product is the product. It's what it's like what like the 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 treatment of the people that made it and 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 like it's just such a horrific story and like yes. hearing how commonplace that is kind of really warped my perspective on like what we as as consumers demand and like what is fair to expect mm-hmm. so i think it's i think it's really good to go into this and be like okay like let me see what happened here and like is there anything we can walk away from and like learn from but like honestly hearing that they're still working on this game kind of disturbs me because i kind of like i think the best thing for bioware to do is just to drop this and move on and like improve internally you know right I think especially like, like if they're working on the dragon age which apparently they are like yeah focus as much as you not not that you know the way studios work it's not that everybody works on one game and that's whatever um but like focus on making that the best it possibly can be and like cut your losses and realize that you know anthem did not work and again right. not not that there's nothing to love here because there really is like i am finding myself going back to it and playing it all the time and my friend and i are having a great time i'm having that destiny experience of like logging on with a friend the two of us just kind of like bullshitting while we're like running around shooting space aliens like that is a fun experience and and the core gameplay loop is so fun that we that we find find ourselves coming back to and texting each other all the time like hey do you want to play anthem later but at the end of the day like it is not a successful game it did it did not achieve any really of the things that people wanted out of it and it sucks to like force people into a position where they're gonna have to keep working on that and like polishing a turd in a way and like i i hate to be so negative and use that kind of terminology when talking about it but like that is what happened the game and came I, out think, this year and yeah. is five dollars now there was no like reading like without having to read the article like the main thing about that game is like there was no like leader saying like we're gonna make a game about x right. like it was actually forbidden to speak of destiny like in like the office at bioware because like that was so clearly what the game was turning into but they like refused to acknowledge it right. and i remember there's a moment in the article where uh, one like giant CEO at EA like showed up to see what the game was and like they decided like the week before he arrived just to like add a flying mechanic they're like we have to make it about something let's make it where you're flying around and right. he was like that's awesome make it about that 
and like left. So they had to like rework the whole game just to make it. So like there was never like, I have an idea the same way you could easily tell with any other Bioware game of like, even Andromeda to a lesser extent, like that was a new team of writers that all seemed to admire the older Mass Effect games and they were doing it for the first time. I'm sure shit went wrong with that too. Like, I don't know the full story there. So like maybe it was a very similar thing, but I think there is another um, full like breakdown of what happened with Andromeda as well. Sure. And it's, you know, and I think it's, it's again, it's like, there's not like a, you can tell in a game, like, I don't want to compare Anthem to Death Stranding, but in a game like Death Stranding, you can tell that there was a very clear vision for the products mm-hmm. and people like believed in that vision. So that's, that's entirely separate from just like treating your employees like human beings. But I think Anthem was, it was doubled by the fact that there was never like a going in idea. Like they never really knew what the game was going to be. And the fact that they even made a game at all after reading the article is amazing. And the fact that there's something to enjoy about that game is great. And I, I think that there's a way to experience it now and, and honor the, the work that people put into it. But I'm just like, God, don't keep working on it. Unless like now there's a vision. Unless like now they can be like, okay, what exists that we can work on? And, and hopefully, I just, I just worry about things not changing. And that's kind of why I'm like struggling to to talk about this game. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing that we keep seeing with EA specifically also. Like, you and I dunked pretty hard on the uh, Battlefront 2 experience, I think, at last year's E3. Like, the the apology tour of like, well, we released this game and everybody hated it, now we're going to try and make up for it. Like, this is so the EA way of doing things, unfortunately, where they just, like, eat up a studio and then kind of dunk on them in some way, shape, or form, and then force that studio to, like, make up for the problems that EA caused. Yeah. at least is what it seems like. And, you know, you you can't put all the onus on, on EA in this case. Like, I'm sure I mean, a lot of, of that, it's on Bioware. Too. I was just about to say like, a lot of that yeah. happened because of Bioware. A lot of that happened because of uh, I, I just got dice. You know, like th- this is the failings of a great many people, unfortunately. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like the people who are most affected are the ones who like don't get to go home and see their families because they're working on a thing that they know is bad. Yeah. And that's horrific. Yeah. And, you know, that that's what like that's why like it's so good to see the redemption stories of like an FF14 and destiny and all that but it's like at what cost and like you know ideally someone who is hired to be a video game developer is hired to a be treated like a human mm-hmm. <laughs> and b to work on something they believe in and that's not a tall order i don't think like yes you're gonna always have to make like your commercially driven games and maybe like, not everyone's going to have like an auteur vision for everything they work on that's unrealistic yeah but like you should at least know what you're working on before it comes out mm-hmm. you know right. i think like everyone who played anthem was like equally surprised that like it was a thing that was a game that like resembled a game yeah. who worked on it so not a hot take like the article was pretty big and i think it was like watergate levels of exposure without using too much hyperbole like that really i think had at least a positive effect in terms of awareness of like on a massive scale on a consumer level and like amongst people who work in the industry to see like what is happening behind closed doors like that was important to read as tough as as tough as it is to read it's it's a harrowing read but i think it's important yeah it kind of it kind of opened the floodgates for a lot more uh reporting of that level in the games industry talking about yeah um just workers rights and things like that which is uh, like jason trier deserves a lot of credit i think waypoint is also doing a lot of work in that space which i think is really great um i mean they they spent their entire e3 asking every single developer what working conditions are like for game developers yeah which was like so wild and so incredible to hear constantly um, yeah which i really appreciated but anyway yeah 
I, I don't want to add like we like that we know everything because like our show is a very different purpose than like <laughs> Waypoint or Jason Schreier's journalistic career. But like, yeah, I did want to bring that up because we also obviously care a lot about the people who are working on the things we love, you know? So, yeah, like, I mean, I'm a person who worked in uh, tech at a startup and experienced like massive burnout and, and like anxiety problems. Yeah. Because, like that I needed to go see a therapist for because of my anxiety working in tech. Like that yeah. is. That is a thing that you could just copy paste right into the video game industry from what I understood of talking a talking to people who work on games at developers on that level and also reading the work of Waypoint and Jason Schreier and people like that. Um, Yeah. So like that that stuff is very close to me, which is honestly like part of the reason I wanted to check out Anthem in the first place and like find something worth retaining from it. You know, like all these people put so much time and effort into making a thing like at least some of it is good. You know, yeah. you, you, can't, no, I, you can't just I hold cloth, like dunk on the game as, as a whole. Um, for sure. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just I, I just hope the best for for that studio and for the industry in, in general. And I wonder what one can do on an individual level to help that. But, yeah. you know, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. But I'm glad you're finding some merit in Anthem for sure. I, I didn't mean to uh, to make the conversation about that, but I, I felt like I had to bring it up in some way. No, it's important. No, it's so important. Anthem. You can't not talk yeah. about it with Anthem. I was going to bring it up also. <laughs> like you, you, okay, have, you have to mention it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I think I think it's important. And it's one of the reasons I want to check out Andromeda for the same reason, you know, like it's another game worked on by a ton of people that, um, you know, just completely got dunked on. And who knows what that means for them? Um, yeah. And with Bioware, it's interesting because what I learned also from that article is that there are technically three Biowares. There's like the uh, Canadian studio that is like full of the people who made like the original Mass Effect trilogy and Dragon Age and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the old games like Neverwinter Nights and and um those like old old like uh Baldur's Gate that kind of stuff um and then I think there's an Austin office and one other one and like the newest office was working on uh Anthem while the like one in the middle was working on Andromeda so yeah even within Bioware there's like this kind of hierarchy where there are a lot of new people who are proving that trying to prove themselves in face of like a company they probably really are excited to work for and there's just so much like manipulation there it's it's heartbreaking because I I mean, I'm not chill about how much I love Bioware as a studio and like I've, <laughs> right. you know, like they've had a profound effect on on video games as a medium and like at their best have produced some of the like best RPGs out there. Um, right. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there, like for for everyone involved. And I think it shows the pitfall of like, I guess it's like a corporation using their brand to emotionally manipulate their workers. You know, it's like just so yeah. fucked. Anyway, let's move on. Because I think we've said all we can say, really. There's not like, and I have the answer. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You and I are not going to come up with any solutions here. More just, I I think giving more exposure to the problem at large will, in effect, maybe create a solution in time. Absolutely. And I think, too, like on a consumer level, like I remember shortly after the article, actually, it it was before the article came out that Nintendo had delayed the release of both Fire Emblem and Animal Crossing. And then afterwards, Doug Bowser came out and was like, we have pushed those games back to avoid this, basically, yeah. to avoid this type of thing. And, you know, to be fair, we don't know what's going on exactly there either. Like, I'm sure there's a version of of like fatigue there as well. Yeah. Um, but I think at the very least, like the fact that they delayed the release of those games even before those discussions were happening, like on a on a bigger scale, I think is a good sign that like, OK, at least like there are some big companies that are taking like the smallest steps possible to make it more realistic for their for their workers and developers. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah. I take those announcements, if you can call it an announcement with with Grant 
grains of salt in oh, that way, like especially yeah. on the Nintendo side because they're so notoriously secretive that like right, no one knows what's happening there yeah. either. Um, yeah. But I really, really, and we talked about this on the show when they said that. But like, I really hope that that's the case. I really hope that's true because like the idea of Animal Crossing, a thing that has brought me so much fucking joy and 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 solace and catharsis in my life, and like that potentially being born of like an incredibly negative work environment is really upsetting that would be like a really harrowing thing to learn um, yeah i feel like catharsis and harrowing are the two words we're starting to use a lot more on this show by the way which i yeah i like those two words who's who i think i'm catharsis not i'm, to def- make you I'm harrowing. definitely harrowing <laughs> <laughs> that's your uh kojima villain name yes I feel like yes harrow or just harrow i think yeah oh i like harrow yeah. yeah anyway we could talk about this forever but uh we've almost been recording for two hours at this point so I yeah think, i think, I we, think should we should wrap up for this week. i would love to revisit this topic though in some way and i think like the more we learn and the more we listen i think that's that's what we can do is listen and look for information yeah, um absolutely so yeah i am natural i'm cautiously optimistic for the future i think that like it starts with awareness so hopefully we can move in a better direction yeah cool well yeah so this this episode covered a lot uh i'm really excited for the sony kazaa it's gonna be great uh it's not kazaa <laughs> kazam was it kazam wasn't kazaa like a a napster-esque yes music it was an- it was like another napster yeah oh my like god limewire napster kazaa i think were the three so early 2000s amazing um but yeah uh this we're really this has been a really busy month for us and for the show in particular um but talk about catharsis i think we're really excited for the end of the year yeah. um to, to kind of put a nicer ribbon around the episode like this ep- this show is entirely rooted in our love for video games as a medium and whenever we cover kind of more troubling topics because we just care a lot about what's going on and i think the people working on stuff care too and and i think uh it's nice to have an outlet where we can just share our appreciation for something and also have people somehow enjoy that so (laughs) just another constant thanks for uh for listening to the show and for all the support we've gotten in our year and a half of doing it it feels longer in a good way um yeah but it has only been a year and a half and this is our first full year of doing it so i think that's why it's the game of the year is a little bit more exciting this time around and and, that's why uh, we've been bringing it up for literally 365 days now (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so really excited um but yeah thanks again for listening if you want to support the show even more than just by listening which is obviously huge already uh, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Into the Cast, um, where we post updates about the show. You can share it with a friend. It's probably the best way to help the show grow. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts out of five stars. Write a review if you're so inclined. You can also just rate. That's also very helpful. If you really, 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 really like the show and it's not putting you in any kind of weird position, you can uh, you can support the show on Patreon. Right now we have three tiers. It's patreon.com slash Into the Cast. For a dollar, uh, you get a shout out. For three dollars, you get access to all high quality episode art and uh, mobile wallpaper variants as well. And for five dollars, you get access to our newsletter. Uh, we just had our quarterly public issue. Um, even though it's monthly and only patrons will get it monthly, um, every quarter we're going to release a big issue that is for everyone. Uh, additionally, we do bonus episodes because of the Patreon, and those are going to always be for everyone. So. 
as we've said, our line of thinking is the fact that we're getting any support lets us just make more stuff for everyone. But right now, the only paywall is the episode art and getting the newsletter monthly. So that's, I think, it. Uh, we have our list of patrons. We want to give them a shout out real quick. Uh, thank you very much. I'm going to read it from, uh, it's in alphabetical order. I'm going to read it from the bottom up this time, just to change things up. Sure. Thank you very much to Trevor, Spencer, Scout, uh, Salute PZ, Philip, Pablo, No Name, Min, Micah, Melly Muffin Pie, Marcel, Mark, Kyle, Kim, Cameron, Josh, Jeff, Jason, Inez, Hilton, David, Chris B, Catherine, Brett, Bolt, Benjamin W, Benjamin D, Bede, Andrew, Alex, and Akira. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. It's it's getting to be a long list, and it's uh, it's very humbling. Humbling is another word that has joined harrowing and catharsis. Uh, that could be uh, that could be AJ. Those are our Kojima names. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much. We Words can't do it justice. Um, is that it? Do you have anything to wrap up, Brendan? Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned everything else. Oh, we have a Twitch account as well. Uh, we have I was trying to remember to if we mentioned that or not. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's twitch.com slash into the cast. I just streamed my attempt to beat the last Sekiro boss. Spoiler alert. I don't. But it's a fun time if you want to watch that. Um, we also have a bit of a backlog to eventually port to YouTube. I don't know. I don't think we have a time on that, but that will eventually happen, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, I, I know I, I've seen some people ask. I know not everyone's on Twitch, but uh, we usually uh, put up streams after the fact on YouTube. Um, uh, right now, I think our proudest work is our Oblivion uh, playthrough, which we were together in person for. And uh, we will ideally continue that one day that's like our one like narrative series that we have going yeah uh which i am excited about um we have to revisit our argonian friend um but yeah that's that's actually it that's everything yeah uh yeah my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley i'm stephen hilger you can find me at stephen hilger have a wonderful day yeah have a good day have a good week talk to you next time bye Garbage dot online.